We're on. We're on. We're on. We're on. It's GOT Sundays. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. That's what it is now. For the next eight the next eight weeks, we're gonna be recording at ten PM on Sundays because of Game of Thrones. <laughs> have to. You have to. You can't watch it on delay. Social media will kill you. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm playing a, a risky game <laughs> by not watching it live. <laughs> Once again, guys, this is Mike from At the Bar Podcast. Joining me, the usual suspect, is Jeff. Hey, it's me. And I, I want to try a new short and intro, so there's no whole sh- huge spiel, and we can kind of get into what we got to get into. So expect a short intro from now on. But we're going to get into right away, Mike, we got Jeff, just the two of us today. And oh, before we even get started, man, I got I, we got wish Preston a happy birthday. Today's his birthday. Happy birthday, Preston! Oh, happy birthday, birthday, birthday! So uh, these beers are for you. So Jeff, what are you? Uh, what what, what you drinking? You know, I'm drinking the same one I've been drinking lately. The uh, the uh, Barrel Amongst Wizard Wit. I had probably uh, I don't know seven of them yesterday. And, really? uh, and I just, I went out, the, the, I sent you that picture when I went beer chasing the other day, early in the morning, I went to Home Depot, I was doing some work around the house and ended up, um, just deciding to go get beer instead. And, uh, I picked up a six pack of barrel of monks. I saw it there. I had to get it. It's, it's I, I keep it in the fridge now. That's your new poison. That's what I'm drinking. I dig it. <laughs> So I'm drinking. I got I got two beers already, but this one I got yesterday. My buddy Derek uh, muled me a new release from Red Cypress, and Jeff's gonna get super jealous. I am drinking their Imperial Coconut Death Roll. Get the fuck out! No, it's right, it's right here. Jeff can see it, but you guys can't. It's right there. <laughs> wow! I haven't had it. I just opened it. Haven't tried a sip, but uh, I'm I'm super excited. Their mocha is good. Their vanilla is good. Uh, I'll showing Jeff the can now. See, see, Imperial coconut, coconut death roll. Yeah. Wow, you're it not lying. Good. It smells very good. So uh, I'm gonna get don't don't uh, mind the silence. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into my my beer here. Damn, that smells beer. Shit, now I have to open, now I have to open something cooler. Imperial coconut death roll. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Yeah, it's so good. That's the best one. That's the best one. Better than last now? Oh yeah, so good. Oh, I get so much better. Yeah. Oh, oh, this is so good. This may be a five out of five. What? Yeah, yeah dude. This I fucking is... hate that you. I hate that oh, you have that beer right now. God, I'm getting goosebumps. Even just oh, all right. We got, we got, we got to get going. We got to get going. Um, so <sighs> Jeff brought up. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm so excited. After Mike's orgasm, here let me introduce yeah. it because Mike's coming in the pants right now over yeah. this beer. Um, so we had this. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys, the beer fans out there, get beer advocate uh, emails or any kind of correspondence from Beer Advocate, but I got this email a couple of days ago, and it kind of rubbed me. Not, I don't want to say the wrong way, but it just kind of was an interesting email to get from Beer Advocate because, as we have talked about before, uh, Beer Advocate now has a controlling share owned by Anheuser Busch. Right? No, false. Rape beer does. Rape beer. Oh, okay. Well, then beer Rape advocate. Well, then this is interesting too, because then beer advocate actually, this is probably them going at rape beer. I'm sure there is. Which, yeah. Well, this is basically they sent this correspondence out, and it says um, it, it goes about transparency in craft beer ownership. So it's it's all about. Um, the trend and, and basically it says and there's there's points that i agree with and disagree with throughout the whole thing but um it says basically that uh the the movement for drinking quality beer is no longer the movement and that the movement is to drink non-owned by macro breweries and then it goes into how is that really what why these breweries hide their hide their ownership by these big macro brews um and is there an advantage to hiding that ownership and, you know, all the other little intricacies that go in with it. But I, um, I think that this is actually a stab at rate beer for selling to Anheuser-Busch, who's a competitor, obviously a beer advocate. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it goes into great detail about, um, about ownership being owning, owning who owns you, the controlling, uh, even if it's 1% or 50%, 
um, that if Anheuser-Busch or any of the macro brewers have an invested stake in your business, then your life got significantly easier in craft beer. And basically that you have that advantage and that you should own that rather than hide it and try to pretend that you don't. So um, it was just an interesting take on the thing. And it also kind of shows how these macro guys are going to start marketing to the craft beer drinkers, in my opinion, like this is how they're going to do it kind of back door and start convincing you that the idea is okay. You know, one of the things I picked up, I wasn't the biggest fan of how that article was was written. It covered a lot. It was a very wide article. It brought up a lot of good points, but it didn't really go into in-depth about anything. It was very shallow. It opened um, a lot of doors and never it opened closed. opened a lot them. of doors, but never, like, it opened them. It was like, you know, it was wide. It was a wide but shallow article. Um, one of the things it did mention uh, was if these craft breweries do have a percentage of their brewery owned by a, a bigger company that they should disclose that information to the public. Right. Which I am 100%. I, I am not with that at all. Cause it's not our business. I don't think so. So, um, I kind of want your take on that. I, I mean, it, it doesn't, I have a lot to say and I don't know how much you have to say, but I guess we can kind of go step by step into some of the points that Arco brought up. I mean, for me, transparency is, is from a business aspect, transparency is, I mean, if it hurts your business, don't be transparent. And if it doesn't hurt your business, then be transparent. I guess be as transparent as it is, as long as it benefits you kind of thing. If you're not doing anything illegal and you're just hiding the fact that AB owns 10% of your business and you know that that's going to hurt you with your, with your customer base, then I can see the motivation behind hiding it. But in this industry where I feel like honesty to your consumer was kind of what the industry was built on. There was so much of that, like we're all a community and this is the team, you know, we're on the craft beer team versus the macro guys. And we like built a whole movement on that. And then now there is, you know, good breweries and, and breweries that we love that are getting bought up by macro breweries all the time. And now it's kind of like, I feel like there's a, mo- a moral obligation for transparency. Um, and I feel like you kind of should not alienate your customers. Cause here's my thing. I think that there's enough customers now who like us four years ago, three years ago would have been like, fuck AB for buying this brewery. We hate them. And now we're more open to the idea, right? Because we're like, okay, well if the beer is still good and this and that, um, we're okay with it. And then, uh, so I, I feel like I'd rather a brewery come out and be like, Hey, you know, it was the right move for us. It's the right move for our business. It's going to make our beer more available. And, and they are upfront with it. I would still go to that brewery over the one that like tried to hide it. And I find out through the grapevine and I'd be like, fuck them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the, I, mean, I don't know. In this, in this article, the, 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 the author wrote that, um, you know, if you think these macros are buying up these breweries and you think that beer is going to get better, that you're pretty much naive and that doesn't happen, which I don't agree with at all. I don't think the beer is getting worse and I don't think the beer is – the beer may or may not get better, but I don't think it's going to get worse. Why would it get worse? There's no – it makes no point. There's no purpose for, for them to make worse beer. What I think – well, did it say I, worse? Because I yeah. thought it said it just if you don't think the beer is going to change, which I, I mean, think the beer will change. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't think the beer will change enough to where people won't notice or enough to where people will notice. They might change the grain bill. They might add, tweak it a little bit. But I just don't think like this is going to come across douchey, but I just don't think the craft beer market as a majority know or even care. You know what I'm saying? If if I, if I could get Death Row now and then Red Cypress gets bought out by AB and I get it post buyout and it still tastes the same, why do I care? I don't care. Because well, it's the same beer. And they might have changed it, they might have not. But assuming they change the recipe, but it's the same end result, then why would I care? I And I agree with you, but maybe this is a different topic altogether and maybe something that we have to explore on a different episode. But we've talked about how much the craft market is growing. And, you know, it's growing by this percentage every year And this, but have we ever talked about what type of craft drinker that percentage is? Because maybe 
we aren't, I mean, maybe the average craft beer person isn't somebody who's listening to craft beer podcasts and really into, you know, the ownership and the equity and who owns this and what is this brewery doing? Maybe you're now that the market has grown so much. Now your average craft beer drinker is what we would have said was a novice before. I agree. You know, somebody who's like, okay, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't really care what, where it comes from or what the brewery is, but if it's good beer, I'll try it. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's really what this whole show was built on is we kind of wanted to appeal to, to that level of craft beer drinkers and give them an outlet to explore this, you know, this industry without feeling overwhelmed. So, um, you know, that's, we wanted it to be approachable, but I, I, maybe that is, maybe we're tuned into this thing because we're in the industry and we talk about it, but maybe the transparency doesn't matter to your average consumer. Yeah. And I would agree with that too. Like people just don't care. And when, when people bring up craft beer, right. It, you know, when we first start as early as when we first started this show, we, I know I have, I won't speak for you, but I know I have to where I assumed at the time craft beer, craft beer equals quality. And as this show has evolved, how I've evolved as a person, as a, a podcaster, as a drinker, I'm slowly leaning away from that mentality of craft doesn't mean quality. Craft means independency, right? To where right. you're not owned or correction, you may not be majority owned by a macro, but you do have independent control of what you want to do, when you want to do it, what you want to brew over you know, the policies and guidelines of an AB, of a Miller Coors, whatever. So, and there's a ton of great breweries, ton of great beers, but there's also a lot of mediocre beer, average beer, even terrible beer. And so with me, you know, as I talk now, it's, you know, craft beer to me means independency, but not transparency. As an owner, I have every right to disclose and not disclose my books, right? Who owns it? The names like that's privacy. They may not. You might have investors that want to be silent partners and they don't want that to get out. The public has no right to know that. Right. So the ultimate advice and this article does state that is really to you drink with your wallet. Right. If you like Bud Light, drink Bud Light. I had a Coors original the other night. I like drinking Coors. I like drinking PBR. And there's occasions to where I lean on those. But for me to know who owns a brewery, like even at my standpoint of being maybe an intermediate in the craft beer, I don't care. And nor should it be my prerogative to know. Yeah. Okay. But in that respect, so if craft to you means independence, does that mean that, and not quality, because I I can agree with you, like not all craft beer is quality, but not all craft beer is independent either. Right. And, and and not all quality beer is independent. You know what I right. mean? Like you you know so if you if you fancy yourself a craft beer drinker or a craft beer lover or somebody who's in the industry and interested in craft beer, it can't only mean independence because there's a ton of breweries that are not independent that are putting out good beer. And Correct. but it can't also only mean quality because there's a lot of crappy craft breweries that are putting out crappy beer. So right. I guess now it's like, what is the new definition of craft and what does it mean to you? And that's kind of what this article was that to this guy, transparency is what craft is. He wants to know who owns it. So ownership is important to him and what craft is. Yeah. I also want to point out, I know we have a lot of hardcore crappier people. Me and Jeff do understand the definition of what defines a craft brewery in terms of output per year and percentage ownership. We know that. Correct. We're talking more about, to to the consumer, not right, obviously correct. the definition, not the hardcore, you know, definition that you know a lot of people who make careers in craft beer. We we know that, we know that we're talking, you know, like just to the public. Maybe people who either don't care or, or just drink beer because it's good, not because of who makes it, right? So yeah, like you said, like what is craft beer? Like what is that? You know, what is that definition? I mean, if you were to go to if you had a friend that worked at a craft brewery, right? And he's like, dude, check out this beer. It's the best. Like, to me, that doesn't, like, I hate when people always, every beer they post, they always really like it. That irritates me. And then I also, it, I also get irritated when people say, ask for, ask for opinions of employees that work there. Because they're obviously going to say it's good. Does that make right. sense? 
So it's like, oh, every beer I check out on Tapped or every beer I post on Facebook, I love every single one. And it drives me up a wall because there's no way that the thousands of beer these people check in, they like every, every single one. Impossible. And those, and those are the people who are choosing craft over macro and they're, they're like – this I'm a craft drinker, so every craft beer is better than every macro beer. And I'll sit here and tell you right now that every pale lager in the craft sector is not better than Coors Light. Like, there's a, <laughs> Amen, Coors, Light, Coors Light. Coors Light's a good, a good, you know, whatever. Right. Pill, pill, American Pilsner, pale lager, whatever the fuck they're calling it, there's light lager. Definitions for it. It's a good light beer for what it is. And so if you're, is it better than a lot of craft beers that I've had? No, not the good ones, but there are bad craft beers that I've had that I would easily have drain poured and drank a Coors Light over. So, you know, there's there, and there is that we've all met that, you know, that craft drinker who's like, I drink craft beer and it's better than macro. So I'll never touch yeah. I'll never touch a macro beer and I'm going to rate everything I drink as a good beer because it's craft. And, and I feel like that was more popular years ago when the movement first started. Um, but it's still there now as the market continues to grow and there's just more and more people getting into it who, you know, I had this one beer this one time and I forget what it was, you know, and every, every dark beer is a stout and, you know, every, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Oh, Newcastle. Is that a stout? No, 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 not really. <laughs> you know, no, that's a brown ale. But, you know, and it's anytime you say a brown ale, everybody assumes it's a stout or porter. It's mm-hmm. it's those, you know, and that's that is the market that we live in now. And it's going to continue to grow and get that way more and more as we continue. So, you know, t- to those people, every craft beer is going to be stellar and you're going to see untapped. That's how some of these beers that we've talked about that are not very good are getting good untapped scores. Because there's people who love that brewery or very loyal to that brewery or very loyal to craft and they say everything's good and Yeah, and, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with I'm not saying that these people are wrong or that they're incorrect. It's just it's a pet peeve of mine because I've put so much time into learning and, and researching and meeting expectations. That's an, another point I want to bring up with with transparency on, on your article here. But you know, it's everyone's entitled to their opinion. Everyone's entitled to give it what it is, but you know, you, sometimes you have to like kind of take a step back and 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 maybe say, "Hey, like, is this what a brown ale is supposed to be like? Is this what a saison is supposed to be like? What is is this what this is, is supposed to be?" And and it's just it's one of those things to where, you know, I decided to put a lot of time into learning. And you're not going to find anyone who's went from not being in that industry to being expert. You know, people, you know, start from the the beginning, maybe not knowing anything, and they cra- and they gradually work their way up into, you know, knowing a lot, homebrewing, and that's their choice. But, you know, my another problem I have with transparency going to the expectations is that these craft beer, craft beer is a business, right? And no one succeeds being the nice guy. So my problem in regards to the article about transparency is. These craft brewers need to be more transparent and honest into what they are selling. Example, how many times have you gone into a brewery and they say it's a brown ale and it tastes, or they say it's a stout and it's a brown ale? Or how many times you go into and they say it's an IP or it's a sour IPA, but it's an IPA that got infected. They just don't want to dump it. We want to talk about transparency in the craft beer industry. We want the craft brewers to be transparent into if that beer is shit, don't pour it and admit to it. Don't try and like just add vanilla to it. Or if it's if it's supposed to be a stout, but it comes out as a brown, then don't sell it as a stout. You don't have to admit fault, but don't say, oh, this is my Russian Imperial and it tastes like, you know, chocolate tea. And that's that's another point I wanted to bring up with that because that article like got me going. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> other in, – in the to me and this is where i actually did see the the right for the transparency and it's not like you need this but i do see a, a blatant hypocrisy of the guy who gets bought out and then still tries to like band with his brothers of 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 the independent craft world and is like no man we're still you guys like just cuz they own 20% of us doesn't mean we're not still craft but like the guy, the, the article, the author was right. He's like, the second that you sign on with one of those big guys, life gets significantly easier for you. It's true. You it's now, 
you now don't have to worry about your your market reach or being able to get access to market or ingredients. You get better prices on ingredients. Um, you have all the best access to brewing equipment and all, you know, so every to advertise all this stuff that becomes instantly available for you, all the things that keep small brewers awake at night, all become instantly available to you. So for you to hide the fact that all that stuff became super easy for you and then sit there and still call yourself a member of the craft community of these independent brewers who are your, your brothers who you're in battle with against the big guy and trying to get your, you know, your reach in the market there's a hypocrisy there and I can see where this author get ticked off about it because right. you can't sit there and say, you know, if your neighbor and your craft beer neighbor and you guys have been brewing together and, or, you know, near each other and your competitors, but you know how the market is, they're not really competing. We just, and, and all of a sudden that guy gets instant access to market and all the ingredients he wants and he's owned 10% by AB and he's going to be like, yeah, man, we're still in this boat together. I'd be like, fuck you. No, you're not. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying, and, and in a way, I agree. But you know, the the business side of me says, you know, it's it's like, it, like, why does it matter? It, I think it's just jealousy, to be honest with you. Like, this brewery made good enough beer to where they got offered X amount of money for X percentage, and they said yes. Like, what is the problem with that? You know, like craft beer is, is they. It's they claim it's about brotherhood and all, and there's a lot of collabs and it's a brotherhood and always. I get it, I respect it, it, I see it, whatever. But it at the end of the day, everyone wants a piece of the cake, and like I said before, if you're nice, you're gonna get walked all over, all over yep. by the people you call your brother. If if there's you know uh, a three spot shelf on a Publix shelf. And you're Mr. Nice guy. Oh, hey, brewery, you can have it if you want because you're going to get taken advantage of. And it's bloody. It's blood. Business is bloody. It's not for the faint of heart. And when people get upset because they sell a portion of the brewery, they're just jealous because they're not in that boat, too. And we have a whole show. One of the biggest shows on TV is Shark Tank. And no one seems to care that these same five investors are buying up portions of all these companies. But God forbid someone buys 10% of a brewery. Everyone, you know, loses their shit well and here's why and the problem with it is and this is where you know the transparency thing what i'm talking about comes in is that there is a significant advantage a a quantifiable advantage to staying independent where you don't lose the customers that you've cultivated because there is a percentage of the market who will say fuck them they're owned by ab right like that that market exists so by staying independent you retain those customers whereas the other guy loses them but the other guy who just sold out gets the advantage of being owned by AB and they also get all that money. So you, there is the weird kind of, is it fair for this guy to get bought out, but hide it. And then he gets the, he gets the business that goes with being independent, but he gets the advantages of not being independent. And that's where it's going to start pissing people off. And that's what I was talking about before is then you find out that brewery six months later, been like, Oh dude, they've been owned by AB for like six months. That's when you get the customers who are like really pissed and like, I'll never go back there. And I mean, look at, look at brands like Goose Island, like Goose Island, when they got bought out, granted they were the first big one, they fell off the map. Nobody would drink Goose Island. No one. So like that, that advantage, that's, that shows you the advantage of staying independent versus announcing, Hey, we got bought out, but Goose Island's still around after surviving years of nobody buying Goose Island because they were owned by a big guy who put them back in the market and gave them all the advantages. And now they're still here and they're doing, they're doing good. They're doing good. It's that, it's that financial safety net of, all right, so I'm selling 30% of my brewery for X amount, let's say a million dollars, right? To AV. I know I'm going to get the backlash. I know I'm going to get the people pissed off, but one, I'm a million dollars richer. And then two, I have that safety net to where when my sales do slump, I still, I'm not going out of business because I have the backing of a huge company. So it's like, it's really like, you know, what do you do? You know, there's that finance, the the security, the advantage of getting ingredients, distribution, shelf space, what have you, or do you stay, you know, 100% independent and have to fight? with your you know fight with your small team owners or maybe you're the only owner to fight for 
the, the better deals on the ingredients, the better deals on the, the equipment, the shelf space, and all that's money. That, but it's, you know, what do you do? What do you do as a business owner? What do you do? Are yeah, you well, out to, to make beer because you're passionate about it, or are you out to make money? It's weird. It's a really weird situation because if if you were buying a company and you knew that the company was going to go down in value tomorrow, you wouldn't pay the price of it what it is today. You would wait for tomorrow, right? But the weird situation is what if you're the reason that the value of the company is going to drop? And then it's like, I have to pay today's price and knowing it's going to drop off. But then that's when you have a brewery where you go, this isn't a sound financial partner for me in the short run, but in the long run, maybe it is. But that you have to factor into your decision. If you're paying me a million dollars, but I stand to lose a million dollars in business by partnering with you, you're paying me nothing correct to take yeah. some of my business so it's like that's short term though exactly but that's but then that's the gamble is do we survive it long enough to be long term you know i i don't know it's, it, you know i i don't understand why people get so outraged when breweries get bought out it's business like it really it's you may not like it as a fan of wicked weed or lagunitas or whatever you know, you may not be happy that these, you know, big brands are owning these companies, but one, that's business, dude. Like, I hate to break it to you, but, you know, it, if someone's offering me a check for $300 million for a company I started five years ago, you're stupid not to take that. Stupid. Yeah, I could play golf all day, every day for the rest of my life on that. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Like, you know, oh, man, fuck them. Fuck, they sold out. Yeah, well... They, I'm sure they got a check big enough for them not to give a shit about what you say, what you do, because they're out. They're like, I am. I now am $350 million richer to where the rest of my family and my kids' kids and kids' kids and all of it never have to work again. But yet, we're upset over the fact that we can't get a $12 four-pack made independently. You know what I'm saying? No, now it now it's a now it's a nine dollar four pack. Now, now it's nine dollars. Oh my god! You're making, I'm paying three dollars cheaper. It's bullshit. Fucking put a label on it, and that's I mean that's crazy. I mean even I mean look into the the Brewers Association. I know we haven't talked about it yet, and I want to talk about it eventually uh, or touch on it at some point. But the the Brew Independent uh, logo that they want all of the independent breweries to put on their cantra bottles or whatever is horseshit horseshit because craft beer is is all about independency and 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 not saying fuck you know saying fuck you the man and all these laws but this not even an association that these breweries pay fees to is making them put this label on their bottles or cans whatever is the opposite of what craft beer stands for in my opinion yeah have you seen those that's weird i i I don't know. I don't. It's funny too because it's like this is the industry that we loved because it had no rules. But this is like the biggest uh, right now. Like in our, especially for our show, it's like this is the yeah. biggest example of why structure is good. Because like <laughs> <laughs> if they if they were to have this all structured and rules and, and from the beginning and like we knew what the market was and all. That, but they, it was just like, no, man, it's built on like community and everybody loves each other. And like we have this great community and, and everybody helps each other out. We're all going to be friends. And then like the second that a real businessman gets in there and starts sharking around, it's like, oh, God, now we're, oh, now we're, now we're screwed. <laughs> like, who are they turning into? Right. When, and and I, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially Flying Dog's owner said, fuck that, like we're not, this is all about independency. Like you're not taking away our freedom to do however we want with our logos or bottles, cans, whatever. And he got a lot of shit for it. A lot of people, I mean, he was a little on the aggressive side towards it, but he makes a good point. And that point was essentially my opinion is, you know, you're an association. You're not, you don't own all of us. It's a member, a part of a membership. This Brewers Association, the BA pretty much, you know, sets the guidelines to, you know, uh, what craft beer is, uh, styles in terms of brewing, you know, uh, gravity, all these, all these things, and they set these guidelines. But then, you know, what they supposedly stand for is independency and a brotherhood and friends. Yet they're forcing these people. It's like the biggest slap in the face of what 
Well, I love the idea of like, put that you have to put this on your logo to prove that you're independent. Mm-hmm. It's like you, know, you forcing me to do anything proves I'm not independent. My right. logo That's should be whatever I want. Right. Right. You know, but it's ironic. Whatever. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, what do you do? It's one of those things to where like, I don't, you walk into an ABC or a total wine or crap, you're sitting Jupiter holler. And, uh, you think someone's going to turn out a bottle and look for that sticker? Like, Oh man, I don't know if dogfish is independent. If they're not, I'm not buying their 90 minute, you know, come on, dude. Like that's the thing is, is 90% of the people who drink crap beer don't care. They don't care. They see, dogfish 120 like i've had that before i really enjoyed it i am gonna buy it not even look at the expiration date not even look at anything they see the logo they see the price the price is what they like they buy it i mean how many people complain about buying old beer at liquor stores frequently pretty oh man i bought this at at you know mike's liquor store it's an ipa that's six months old oh you know like People don't look. They don't look. They just see the logo. Like, oh, how much is that? Ten bucks? I'll buy it. That's essentially what it is. I've uh, I've definitely, and now that I'm thinking about it more, and like what we talked about, like with what craft means to you, to me, I'm I don't even think. I mean, I'm definitely I, I prefer craft beer. Obviously, I'm on a show about craft beer, pretty much. <laughs> I but, prefer PBR. <laughs> but like, I'm I to me, it doesn't ownership doesn't matter. Uh, I don't really necessarily care about transparency in, other than in respect to the points I made tonight about, I just think it's unfair f- in the business mind to have that unfair advantage and still put yourself in the same boat as the underdog. Like you can't call yourself the underdog if you're the macro, but that other than that, I don't really have a problem with it. I'm purely about quality. If I go on the store, if I go to the store, when I go to craft beer city or when I go to the ABC that has like, a case and a half of pink snow on the shelf for some reason. Um, when I go to these places, I'm don't, I'm not looking at the independence label and, and, Oh, are they owned by so-and-so I'm looking for cool beers, beers that catch my eye, a label that looks cool, something I haven't tried yet, a style I haven't seen in a while. And that's purely it. And I'll try it. And I've had a lot of stinkers that way, but I've had a lot of, you know, discovered cool breweries and had really cool beers that I wouldn't have expected that way as well. So um, for me, it's about quality and I don't really care who owns you. Yeah. I, I'm the exact same way. I have all my, my speeches. It's it, I don't care what, who brews you, where you're from percentages. Like if I feel like, like the other night, Friday night, I felt like having, you know, a good old fashioned Coors original, I had one, and there was craft beer there. I was like, you know what? I just don't feel like having, you know, a Oberon or whatever, the sixty, whatever. I was like, I just want an old fashioned banquet beer because I'm feeling fucking fancy, and that's what I had. Do I do that all the time? No, but you know, occasionally I'll, I'll whip open, you know, one of those macro beers. Everyone knows that. Listens that's been listening to the show for a while. Bud Light is my go-to. I'm not ashamed of it. You know, it's Ugh. it is you what it is. Sh- you should be. <laughs> I'm not ashamed. But like at least upgrade that to Coors Light. <laughs> Coors Light is also very Coors Light. Coors Light is is a close second, but it's Bud Light, dude. Like I just can't, I can't get away from it. Just can't. I don't have any in the house, but I can't get away from it. So, you know, it's an interesting take, and and you know, it's one of those debates that will. Ne- there's no right or wrong answer. You know. uh it's just we're here for opinions, people, and and that's why you guys listen. <laughs> that's it. That's so. it. It's like every I've been saying this a lot lately. When you get in like bar arguments and stuff, and I'm like, man, this is just two people's opinions, but everybody thinks it's fact. Yep. That's the biggest difference in the world now. Is everything is like a fact, even when it's an opinion. My beer just overflowed. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> I need to so get anyway. a, I need to get another one. So you, uh, you let's a good time to take a break. Yeah, we're, let's take a break and uh, all right. I'm gonna get, get another beer. So we're gonna we're gonna you know I we're gonna do a little format change on the show. I know uh, we normally just kind of talk it, we ramble on and talk it, and then we end it. But I want to do a new section. We're all about bar conversations and beer explorations. 
So I really want to emphasize both, hopefully, as much as we can on every episode. This episode is going to be a little bit different just because of the article Jeff found. I felt like, you know, we all felt like we had to talk about it because it was a good talking point. And there is a little bit of news uh, in terms of what we had just talked about. So, you know, this slight new format is going to be crappier and crappier. But hopefully going forward, it would be either a crappier, big crappier topic with some silly news or maybe some general discussion with some crappier news. So one of those orders. But, you know, I really, you know, we have the website up. So I definitely want to do as much as we can about bar conversations and beer explorations. So with that said, we are going to our second half of the episode, which would be, like I just said, so uh, this episode is sponsored by our website, guys. We have a, an official website. It's fucking badass. I've been spending weeks on it, as you guys have heard on the on the episode on the shows. It is www.atthebarpodcast.com, guys. www.atthebarpodcast.com. Go on the front page. There's a little bit of history of of how the show started, going way back when to my first time ever podcasting, all the way up to the present time. We have our Instagram feed. We have our Twitter feed. We have a little bit, a little slight fun fact bios of me and Jeff uh, with pictures, so you guys know what we look like. And then we have all of our episodes there. Up currently, we have about episodes one through twenty-five, but I, I am adding more by the day until we get updated. Uh, and then we are working on or on our store, so we will be selling selling T-shirts, uh, hoodies, any kind of clothing. We will be selling once we get our designs tweaked and. New designs, we'll be selling those. So uh, stay tuned on that. And uh, besides that, I mean, it's going to be fucking so cool, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Website, man. Excited. Yeah. Thank you for doing all the work on that. Oh, man. You're welcome. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for doing all the fucking work on it. Oh, you're, you're welcome. So this segment is sponsored by our website at thebarpodcast.com, guys. So be sure to check it out. We will be pushing this fucking hella often. A lot. Hella, hella, hella lot. Because it's now our one-stop shop for everything. Stuff so having to check out. You know how you know we used to do the plugs, Jeff, plug anywhere, Facebook, Twitter. So many plugs. So many plugs. We got one plug, the fucking website. That's where everything is. So in this section, going with what we talk about in the main show, the main topic. Game of Thrones. Close. <laughs> Buyouts. <laughs> Craft beer transparency. And we could get in, in Game of Thrones maybe a little bit later. So there's two articles. I'm just going to, I didn't read any of them. I'm just going straight off the headlines. First one, Coronado Brewing, which, you know, we're familiar with. We get some of their beers here in Orlando. Coronado Brewing has acquired Monkey Paw Brewing. That's uh, headline one. Headline two is Dewclaw Brewing, uh, famous for their sweet baby Jesus, is up for sale. Sweet baby Jesus. So let me click that because they might have a uh, asking price number and that might be uh a good point to uh we to should reference. buy it yeah i mean we'd probably have to move to uh, maryland but well i just know, want to buy not? the recipe for sweet baby jesus <laughs> sweet baby jesus All right, oh let's, let's, do, let's do the duke claw because i'm a little bit more interested in that so quick little fun facts uh i'm, I'm reading the article here the brewery opened in 1996 moved into a 63,000 square foot brewery in 2014 uh, after outgrowing two production sites they move uh, fifty five thousand barrels annually, so that's mm. that's a lot. Um, uh, some other beers that they're known for is their Neon Gypsy, their Blood Orange IPA, uh, Sweet Baby Jesus. Yeah, was the Sweet Even More Jesus or something like that? They have a, a barrel aged version of that, but according to this article, there is no pricing or asking price or percentage or anything. Uh, Let's see. After launching in Florida last October, Duclaw now ships beer to 14 states in Washington, D.C. So really 15, uh, 14 and a half. Uh, D.C. is not very big, as most of you know. So there's no price, no percentage. Kind of, I, I know I'm a little throwing this on you a little bit, Jeff, but uh, you know, kind of, you know, what we what we talked about and and the uproar uproar with buyouts and what we you know like just discussed about transparency. Kind of, what are your initial thoughts on you know? Duclaw selling it, you know, looking for a buyer, and then another brewery, a Coronado, which I don't think is macro, buying a smaller yeah. brewery. Um, okay, let's, let's, do, let's do let's do uh, let's do Duclaw. Duclaw. So my initial thoughts are: if there's no asking price and there's no buyer and there's no offers made, 
all they've really said is that they're available for purchase, which doesn't matter to a macro who's going to purchase because they would just inquire about if they were willing to sell anyway. So they really haven't done anything yet. They're kind of just still on the ground floor of like, we'd consider offers if you guys feel like making them. Mm. (laughs) So that's basically all they've said because they're not like, this is how much we think we value ourselves at and we can negotiate from there. They haven't put, they just said we're willing to sell if anybody has money and then left it at that. So I'm like, to me, it's almost like I don't know how serious they are about really moving or doing anything. Um, just kind of probably wanted to see what people value their company at and get some feelers out there. And if somebody comes with a really astronomical offer, they might sell it. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's, you know, maybe they just keep it all closed and under wraps and behind closed doors. And there's lawyers drawing up contracts and who knows what else. Uh, yeah, I wonder, uh, my first initial thing was I was kind of surprised by it. Uh, I know Duclaw, it maybe isn't the biggest brewery in terms of, of Florida or outside of Florida. They're not, I mean, Sweet Baby Jesus is, is, their, is their niche beer. But, you know, from what I've read, uh, they're not the biggest brewery outside of Florida that distros to Florida. Um, their beers are good. I've never had a, an issue with them. Um, but I think part of it maybe might be they're kind of want, they want to see what their value is at and then not sell or maybe i mean maybe they just want to get out it says um i don't know they might it looks like uh added the look so they're looking to sell in order to to improve the brand from me uh skimming the article um yeah i think i think it's similar to wicked weed is that um, in order to better the brand and better the, the the you know the product, they would have to sell the brewery. You know, there's no percentage of how much you're selling, but same thing. Wicked, Wicked, we said we sold. Now they could be lying. They sold. They said they sold to get more people, get Wicked Weed in the hands of more people. Whether it's BS, I don't know. But I think the same is is with Duclaw is that they're looking to sell an unknown portion of the company in order to get it more out there for either equity reasons. Or just to wipe their hands clean and move on to something else. Um, I know there there is a chance that if they do sell 100% or controlling, that if they were smart, they'd get a back-end percentage on sales. Like, all right, we'll, we'll sell the brewery to you, but we want 8% of everything sold from this date to this date or forever. Um. I, I, just, I just found it interesting in terms of people who, who bitch and complain about breweries getting sold out. Yeah. This brewery is, is literally publishing that they're up for sale. <laughs> trying, they're trying to open up distribution lanes in there. You know, they've probably, you said they were what? 90, you said 96, Six. 98, 96, 96? 21, 21 years. And they're still just barely in 13, which 13 States. Uh, 14, including DC. Thir- thir- 13 and a half States. So they're one of those, you know, they're probably sitting there grinding and grinding and grinding and trying to open up distribution and trying to get bigger. And they can't, you know, they can't bring in enough money to expand to the point where they need to hit distribution and this and that. And all the little problems that we talked about before that instantly go away when you sell is exactly what they're, it's been keeping them up for 21 years. Man, how do we get in the market? How do we do this for 21 years? And now they're finally like, you know what? Fuck it. Somebody can open this up for us. We don't need to be, we don't need to worry about it anymore. I think, you know, I, I could be wrong. I could be super naive about it, but what, what you said, I think is the main reason why people sell. I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw that, throw that out as a blanket statement. You know, it's a lot of work, work that we don't, we've never done. We don't have any firsthand experience on it, but the amount of work and, and investment money that I would assume would be, excuse me, would be required to, debut your beer in a whole new state must be astronomical huge and it's kind of one of those things it's like you know what do we do like we want to grow we want to make more money we want to get the name out there but we can't afford it so what's there's only one way to get the money to get the capital for it we have to sell equity you sit there and you grind yep. forever and try to keep saving money up or you get a, you take an investor in and you expand I mean yep. think about how much beer a state could drink a whole state, even a small state, whatever to open up a new state. A lot of times, I mean, 
you expand a brewery and it's only good for three states of expansion. And then all of a sudden it's like, shit, we need another brewery or we need to expand the brewery again. Um, we need more brewing equipment. We need more barrels. How big of a brewery do you need to get into this next state? And then even then is the, is the network there for you? Is the, is the market even available yet? You know, all these problems that you grind and you think about every day and you try and save up money and you, I mean, expanding a brewery doesn't happen overnight. So if you know you want to get into these three states, now you got to start construction on your brewery expansion. And then in two years, you have enough brewing equipment to get into those three states. By now, you probably want to get into six more. It's yeah, like the demand there to expand on top of that by the time you get into those. It's it's insane. So I can see where the motivation comes in to say, let's take on an investor. Let's sell a little bit of the company and let's get them working on brewing a beer satellite, you know, contract brew our beers out of another place. And then we can get into that state immediately. And they have the connections to do that. And they have the funding to do that. And, you know, I mean, we've seen it down here with brew hub, these people who they want to expand production, but they don't have the facility yet. So they're in the process of getting the facility. So they start brewing out of brew hub and then they can push out, you know, more and more beer. Yeah. I know uh, J dubs, every single one of their distro beers is brewed by brew hub, brew hub. Every single one doesn't the, the everyone you see on a sh- shelf store is brewed by brew hub. Every single one. <laughs> Cause they're so small. They can't, there's a brewery so small that, you know, they have, they just don't have the, the, the capacity, the capacity to, to sell all over the state. And Florida's pretty big. It doesn't look big, but it's big in terms but of drive from one side to the other and see how big it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all those people love drinking. Florida loves her beer. Yeah, thirteen hours later, and you're in the Panhandle looking at palm tree after or pine tree after pine tree. Good old Long County. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Florida's a nightmare. You know, and yeah, so um, and then I I kind of want to just tap into this Coronado. Um, it seems like this monkey paw is out of San Diego. They run a ten barrel system, uh, which produces about six hundred barrels of beer per twenty seventeen. Uh, so this is a rather very small acquisition for coronado um so it says it allows us uh richard said the deal is mutually beneficial highlight diversification and expansion opportunities for both companies quote it allows us to become more operationally efficient faster than we had planned he said adding that coronado would look to broaden distribution and scale production of monkey paw monkey paw beers as much as four thousand barrels in 2018 and this is article both articles are from Brewbound. Uh, dot com. So with that, um, the branding take three months. Blah blah blah. Uh, so Coronado, to my knowledge, is not a macro. It's 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 considered uh, a craft brewery by standards. Um, so they mm-hmm. pretty much purchased a very small, uh, not even a brew hub, but like a brew pub, I guess. You know, ten barrel system. That's pretty small. Um, pretty small. So, you know. Are are people going to shit on that? Are crappy drinkers be like, "Oh my god, they're another buyout," or are they gonna be like, "Oh well, it's craft buying craft. We don't have a problem with that." Then then they'd be kind of hypocritical. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, or is it hypocritical because the the war is craft first macro? So if craft buys craft, is it okay? Similar buyout on a larger scale would be uh, the holding company over Oscar Blues buying Cigar City. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's, oh, oh, that's craft craft though. So it's okay. Nobody gave a crap about it really. I mean, you heard like, did you hear cigar? People City's applauded. Song? People applauded. Cause like, oh man, that means we're going to be getting more, uh, Oscar blues in Florida and Colorado's getting more cigar city. Like people didn't but seem it to have a problem with that. But I think the reason people applauded was because the rumor and I, I heard, I mean, I don't know how true this is and I'm, I'm not going to get all slanderous on this. So what I heard was, what I heard was, was that there were, there was interest from AB coming in on, on Cigar City and pretty high interest in that offers were made. Now I'm, again, this is what I heard. So not my opinion, but I, but that there was offers out from AB, and I think that the market was everybody was fear fearful and, and ready to say, "Man, Cigar City sold to Anheuser," and then when it came out, and it was like, "Nope, it was actually Oscar Blues Holding Company that bought them." We're like, "What? No way! Sick! Yeah. It wasn't AB. It was like a little victory for the little guy." So, like, I understand the excitement there because, yeah, as much as I say, 
I don't care about AB owning a beer because I'll still drink it. But like, you still don't want them to buy your favorite breweries. Sure, sure. So if they buy your favorite brewery, I think you're stupid to not continue drinking your favorite beer because of it. But yeah. but you don't, you still don't want them to buy it because it's kind of like, uh, it's a loss for craft a little, you know? So, um, so I get why people are excited about that. But if craft buys craft, it means the same thing for the brewer or for, you know, and for the consumer, it is a tiny bit hypocritical to say, no, it's okay. Yeah. I know. I know with, with the cigar city by what I heard was that AB came in and they made an offer and cigar city was about to sign the paper in order to, for the buyout. And then the holding company that is, owned by Oscar blues or Oscar blues is one of the more prominent brands, whatever the case is, um, came in at the literally very last second and scooped up the sale. That's what I heard that, you know, AB was super cool. The lawyers, everyone agreed. Joey Renner was, was literally had the pen in his hand about the sign. And then they got the call saying, you know, this Oscar blues holding company was going to, was going to do that. But yeah, no one had a fuss. Everyone's like, Oh sweet. That's great. Oscar. We love Oscar blues. We love Sarah city. We don't have a problem with this buyout but when you know ab or or you know heineken buys the remaining percentages of lagunitas people get all pissed off a little hypocrite well, we're little we're still hypocrite. waiting for barrel aged uh we're still waiting for barrel aged huna fitty yeah huna fitty oh that'd be great i mean even i mean the rumors are still circulating with funky buddha and ab i saw yesterday on one of the craft beer forums that supposedly the papers have been signed it's official ab owns funky but it just hasn't been announced. So yeah, it's, who knows how, how, how true that is, but strong, had, very I, strong rumor. I've talked to uh, bartenders at other breweries down in the area, not at Funky Buddha, because I just never mustered up the courage to ask them about it point blank. But I've I mean, asked other, anyway. other bartenders about it. And like, and so what is, you know, some of them are like, oh, that old thing that finally happened? We've been talking about that for a year now. You know, like, it's just, for <laughs> yeah. them, it's like old yeah. news. They're like, yeah, we, yeah, that's like happening, you know, I, you know, but it never happened. So it's one of those weird situations. I don't know. But yeah, that rumor is yeah. still going around in this market. And uh, I can tell you, um, I was just at the brewery uh, yesterday and down in Funky Buddha. And I can guarantee you, they won't be hurting for business afterwards. They were packed. They're they always packed. And I mean, it's, and they're not, they're not struggling. And I can tell you just from looking around the room that 80% of those people don't give a shit who own them. They just are there because the beer, because the beer is good. It's a cool atmosphere because it's a cool atmosphere. It has games. It has stuff for kids. Uh, You can get some beers. It's a big, it's a big space and it's air conditioned and it's Florida summer. So that's why people are there and they're not there necessarily there because AB or Funky Buddha owns them or it's independent. They're there because the beer's good and the atmosphere's good and they like going there. It's a cool local spot. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So before we wrap up, I want to, I want to ask this question as, as we were talking about the Duke law and, and their distro, I want, I kind of want to know your opinion on, on this in regards to distroing. Let's say you're going uh, out of floor. We, we own a brewery at the bar podcast brewing. And we're looking at distro out of Florida. Would you go whole state distro or a certain municipality or city, county, whatever, whatever the case? Or would you do that? I would whole go state or city. Are you talking about for in within Florida? No, let's say we, we have we a already brewery. have the state in Florida. We, have we already facility. have the entire state of Florida. Yeah, we have the whole state of Florida. And we're looking to expand. Would you want to, let's use Georgia as an example. Would you want to enter the entire state or Georgia? Or would you want to enter a certain city, certain city or cities in Georgia? Huh. And this, I'll bring up, and I'll let you think about that. I was watching a video. Uh, Jay Wakefield is being interviewed by uh, uh, Chris Quinn from the beer, t- uh, the beer Temple out of Chicago. And he asked uh, Mr. Wakefield, John, John Wakefield, uh, where he distros. He said he distros draft lines pretty much in South Florida. We all know that. Um, Orlando, we also know that. Um, but he also said he also uh, named cities like, oh, we do Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Boston, and whatever the cities were. He didn't say any states. He just said we're in South Florida, Orlando, 
uh, Tampa, and then named about five or six cities, but no states. And I thought that was super interesting, and I was very intrigued as a hopefully potential brewery owner or you know executive in a brewery. What would be better, doing an entire state distro or picking cities? I like the city move. I, I do too, 100%. I like the city move. It creates exclusivity. It opens up a state to you without opening up a full state. It makes the distribution a little bit more manageable. At the same time, if you pick the right places, you're exposing yourself to the largest percentage of people that live in that state anyway. So you're still opening up the largest portion of the market without having to distro to 2,000 bars. You just have to add... You know, you just you have to distro to that one city, which maybe has 200 bars or whatever. So, so now you only have to cover 200 bars, but you're still opening it up to you know 50 percent of the people in the state. I think that's a, a not a bad idea. And people go, man, I had this awesome beer last time I was in Baltimore, and I can't get it outside of Baltimore. So they drive into Baltimore to get your beer, and creates a little exclusivity, makes it more you know, makes it cooler. I- I wonder how the distribution, how much of a pain in the ass that probably is to go from Miami to Washington, D.C. and only Washington, D.C. and not, you know, uh, Richmond or uh, Asheville or whatever the case is. They wonder how much of a pain in the ass that is. Not at all. The network's there for you. Your distributors handle all of that, you know, and the network's there. They're sending beer already. They're sending beer already. Right. Either oh, yeah. way, I you just know, wonder so. the point. it was like, because the, going from Miami to DC is more money. Is he making less money on his kegs or is he not making less money or if he, or is he making the same amount of money or maybe more money because he has that exclusivity of, Oh, you can only get it within the city limits. I don't know. Well, he's, he's making the same money. The distributors in charge of what they make their markup on it. They're buying his kegs and then they're selling his kegs. So, so he's making the same money no matter what. The, the distributor says, "We'll buy your kegs for this amount of money." Yeah, I and then he sells them to him. I agree with you. I think I think cities is a, a way better in terms of, of distro. I just re, between the article and and that thing I, I was watching just before, just before we started recording, I was just like, "Damn, that's that's pretty. That's a good idea. I never it never crossed my mind." And yet, Cigar City does it. Cigar Cities and New York City, Philly, and I think they're in DC too. I think I know they're I know they're up in the north, uh, up there. I know even due south, I think is in Philadelphia too. So I, I don't know. I was I was just kind of fascinated by it. I don't know. Whatever. It's interesting. Interesting. So anyway, again, thanks again for listening, guys. Jeff, you got any plugs? Uh, by the time this show airs, I'll be in Cuba. Literally, I'm there right now as we speak. So, um, well, maybe not. I don't know. What do we got in the cannon? We got back. Uh, we got back. Nope. Okay. This, so, this nope. This will this will be airing when I am in Cuba. So, um, send your questions. Uh, it might be too late by then. So, maybe be, not I, send I, your questions. I, I have a list of questions I've gotten from people. I just haven't emailed them to you yet. I have a bunch cool. of we'll, cool, cool, cool. So, yeah, we'll be in. So we'll be set. there. Tune in to next week's episode. We'll be talking about my trip, uh, answering all of the uh, viewer and listener questions. And uh, yeah, man, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm nervous and anxious and excited. So, Yeah, so like, like Jeff said, I'm going to do my plugs. Our next episode is going to be pretty much strictly stick, talking to, about Cuba with him and, and his girlfriend, Cassie. Because um, there's a question I, I want to know, too, and I, I would love to hear the stories and you know their experiences because I don't think I'll be able to talk to you guys over the phone. We won't be able to do any yeah. communicating. It's actually um, we can't. We were going to try to do the show live. We can't do any kind of telecasting or anything from Cuba. And there's no. Um, I mean, we can communicate, uh, but cell phones are spotty. There's no internet, um, and it's it's cell phone services obviously out of country. You pay so. Uh, yeah, there's going to be very limited communication to me once yeah. I'm there. Yeah. So next next episode, I don't know what I think it's episode forty four, forty five, whatever. Will be Cuba and only Cuba. Uh, that'll be kind of like a special episode, I guess. Uh, you know, no news, no general discussion, just uh, you know, Cuba 
don't know how long it'll be, but it'll be fun. It'll be interesting. We'll be learning a lot. So uh, stay tuned for that. That's going to be next episode. Other than that, guys, check out the website. Check it out at thebarpodcast.com, guys. Has everything you'll need. I'm catching up with the episodes. We'll be updating it uh, as much as I can with new merch, announcements, whatever. Whatever we feel that we need to update you guys on. Check it out. Bookmark it. Put in your favorites. Whatever the case is. Um, all of our links. Every link you'll ever need to get any of our content will be there. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, Stitcher. And then I'm working on getting us on Spotify. Uh, podcast uh, thanks to Jess recommendation um, that is a process and I'm looking to get us verified on Twitter so that is also in the works but other than that uh, new merch is coming out don't know when but we'll be having a uh, having fun with that hell yeah <laughs> we have all kinds of great quotes and stuff to go oh off of, so. god I literally have a list buy those just, shirts buy the shirts guys support the show that is for, for the foreseeable future, that will be the only way to support us um, unless we get a sponsor. But, um, yeah, buy the shirts. We're going to be putting that money back into the show for stickers, magnets, other stuff, hats. So that money's going to get used for the show, guys. So once that is up, I'll be blowing that up on social media. Buy the shirts. We we, we may even have a sale from the get-go. You know, Hell yeah. Off, 15% off just to get those shirts and that name out there, guys. So... Obviously, that's all going to be on our website, all of our uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that shit. So check it out, guys. The website, please, 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 please. And once again, thanks again for listening to another episode of At The Bar Podcast. And until next time, we will see you guys at the bar.